They decide, after mulling a few different strategies, to use the Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch, which this is a scene that you've quoted a lot in our lifetime. I, I have. And we actually just saw the Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch <laughs> used in the coronation of King Charles of England, who held the Holy Hand Grenade. It was hysterical to see it, actually, because <laughs> it was almost like right out of the show. So mm. in the show, they're like, you know, what's the monk's name? The uh, prior... Brother... Maynard. Brother Maynard. 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 Yeah. So the king's like, Brother Maynard, you know, bring out the Holy Hand Grenade. So they bring out the book, how to use it. And mm. it's it was just like the coronation. They had the priest, <laughs> you know, bring this like Holy Hand Grenade shaped ball with the cross on it. And the king holds it. <laughs> I want. I was just waiting for him to say one, two, five, three, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host Sophia Ricciardi, and I'm joined today for our annual Father's Day special by my actual dad. Dad, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Glad to be here, Sophia. <laughs> hey, so am I like now the most visited guest that you have? This is my third time. I think you're tied for the most visits with one or two other people, but you're you're in the top. All right, well, percentage. you can't have them on the show this year because <laughs> then next year I'll be the most visited guest. Okay. All right, very good. Uh, Dad, I have to ask you the question I ask at the top of every show. Uh, why did we watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Well... Uh, because I like the show and I was trying to think of what to watch. And also, it's your Father's Day special and it's essentially just a collection of dad jokes. So <laughs> the show worked out well. And uh, I remember watching it with uh, Poppy and your your uncles and, and I watched it with you guys when you were little. And So it seems like a good show to pick. <laughs> it is. Uh, Summarizing it was fun. It's like I have time to have to decide which lines were worth writing down. It's very quotable. Yeah. Very quotable. <laughs> but jumping in, it has all of its titles and credits up front. Uh, and they do do a gag over the titles with the subtitles in not quite Swedish. <laughs> right, right. And then they fire the, fire the, the subtitle writers, get fired, sacked, as they say in, <laughs> in England. And then they sack the other ones. It, it's pretty mm -hmm. absurdist, but it's funny. They do that a couple of times. That's kind of the sense of humor through the whole thing. Uh, yeah. I didn't write down every joke. The dialogue is pretty much just constantly that. I tried to get the big hits. But... Yeah. No, it's like a, it's a good show to watch with kids because the humor hits right about like eighth grade boy level. <laughs> and that's when I, I saw it in high school with your with my brothers and my dad. And uh, I watched it with you guys earlier. You guys yeah. were in, in elementary school. I remember you. Um, watching it with you. I think I edited some parts of it. You did the very dad move of just picking a couple scenes and then fast forwarding yeah. out everything else, which is also how I watched Top Gun for the first time. I thought that was <laughs> only plain scenes for years. Yes. Well, when I went back and watched Top Gun, I was disappointed to see how much of the story was the romance <laughs> and how little was the actual dogfighting. So they, they corrected that in the, in the sequel. It's much better, I think. There's a lot more aerial combat. Maybe we'll talk about that one next year. But yeah, for, we can do that. <laughs> for Monty Python, we jump into England, 932 AD. Uh, on a foggy hill, there's the sound of an approaching horse, and appearing over the ridge is King Arthur and Patsy, his servant. 
uh, banging two coconut shells together to create the sound of horses' hooves and miming the motion of riding a horse. Yeah. No horses in Now, when we saw this when you guys were little, do you remember you actually did the two coconuts? <laughs> you and the boys ran in a circle in the house. I, it was after we saw the movie, but then you had, co- like, we bought a coconut. Yeah, we bought a coconut and, and you did the horse sound for, you know, an hour. That was fun. <laughs> I feel like if you let a kid watch a movie with so much coconut content yeah. <laughs> i know and the sparrow theme was developed in the opening too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah uh the two approach a castle where they are told to halt by the guard who asks who they are and arthur does his full kind of more proper title um king arthur king of britain right. et cetera, et cetera, and introduces his trusty servant patsy they're searching for knights to join their court in camelot uh but the guard is more caught up in their use of the word road to this castle as they're just banging coconuts together. Uh, And the guard, rather than really acknowledging them in their quest, just goes on to uh, debate where they would have found a coconut as they're in a temperate climate and it's a tropical fruit. Uh, Arthur contends that maybe a swallow could have... It travels. Maybe coconuts could travel too. Uh, Though he's not suggesting that coconuts migrate, rather that they could be carried. And the guard is even more doubtful of this Um, and continues to debate swallow to coconut weight ratios, which species of swallow, African or European, could carry the coconut. One of his friends gets in on it. This is the beginning of a long-running gag in this. Yeah, yeah. Arthur and Patsy, seeing that this is going nowhere, leave, and we go to a village where a cart is going around as a man rings a bell calling for folks to bring out their dead. (laughs) Right, right. This is like the, of all the quotes, you know, you get the, this one, you get the, um, I'm not quite dead yet. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. Everyone in the village is miserable and muddy. Uh, one lady in the background, and this is a recurring gag, is just smacking a cat against a wall. <laughs> <laughs> and it has like the like Wilhelm scream of cat sounds. Yeah. It just has like the screech yell every time. <laughs> she is recurring. Then <laughs> um, this, and then one man, as you mentioned, tries to give a still alive man to the cart guy as he gets nine pence for each body uh but the guy's like i'm not quite dead yet i'm feeling better i think i might go for a walk uh but after a bit of back and forth the uh cart guy clubs the man and adds the now dead body to the cart uh arthur and patsy pass through proceeding to go across a field farm by many peasants as they approach another castle and on the way they stop to ask one of the peasants uh who lives in this castle uh, but Dennis, as we learn his name, is, isn't too keen on the king or the whole system of the monarchy. I know. That's like you get, <laughs> so you get the, like, elementary school or eighth grade boy humor where they smack the cat against the mm-hmm. wall or play in a bunch of mud. or And uh, then you also get, like, the college humor where you get, like, the guy talking about the uh, the <laughs> patriarchy and who anointed the king and, you know. But yeah. the one line is like, he's the king. How do you know he's the king? Because he's not covered in shit. <laughs> yeah, there's a, another great line in the scene because basically a bunch of peasants are going to start debating the like legitimacy of Arthur and talk about their collective society and the economic oppression. Uh, and Arthur explains as part of this that he became king when the Lady of the Lake handed him the sword. Uh, and Dennis, in particular, finds this farcical as strange women laying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Right. Eventually, they cut their losses and leave. Uh, just another instance of Arthur and Patsy not being taken very seriously by the citizens of England. <laughs> this is a recurring theme. Um, 
They travel through a forest where they come across a green knight and a black knight fighting. The black knight handily defeats the green knight, uh, and Arthur, having seen this, approaches the black knight and asks him to join his court. But the black knight just stands there perfectly still, staring and saying nothing. Uh, Getting no response, they go to leave, but they cannot pass as the knight insists that none shall pass. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about the black knight. Talk about the black knight, Ziggy. Her black cat. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is where you get the most quoted line yes. from the movie ever <laughs> in the upcoming battle. Yes, they fight back and forth. Uh, Arthur eventually chops one of the knight's arms off and demands his adversary stand aside, but the knight insists it is but a scratch. <laughs> <laughs> and the fight resumes. Arthur chops off another arm. This doesn't dissuade the knight, who kicks Arthur, insisting his misses, uh, missing arms are but a flesh wound. <laughs> Uh, and his persistence annoys Arthur so much that the fight continues and he chops off both of his legs. And as the <laughs> just torso of the knight stands there, sort of wiggling about, right. I either imagine some puppetry, uh, Arthur and Patsy just head on right by. Right. But yeah, that... I, just a flesh wound just is... Just a flesh wound, tis but a scratch. scratch. <laughs> Those turned up in some, like, childhood Yeah, anytime matches. you got hurt. <laughs> yeah. right. Just a flesh wound. <laughs> Uh, we then go to some monks walking through a town, chanting and smacking their heads with planks as they walk through the village. Um, all of the villagers are in a tizzle as they have found a witch. Um, a knight dressed in blue and white robes is testing a swallow with a coconut tied to it to continue our little through line. <laughs> yes. I was going to mention that if you didn't. <laughs> uh, and the villagers present him their witch, which is a very normal woman dressed in a witch costume with like a false wooden nose. Um the villagers, as they sort of do this back and forth of questioning between the man, the witch, and the villagers, admit that they are the ones who dressed her up, but they continue to insist she's a witch. And the knight asks what makes them think she's a witch. Um, one man claims that she turned him into a newt, and after a moment's silence, he admits he got better. I got better. I use that line all the time, too. I got better. I got better. Uh, as the crowd continues to get more and more heated, Arthur appears and watches the events. Um, the knight says that there are ways to tell if she is a witch and explains uh, in sort of a back and forth questioning like you might do to like a class of third graders. <laughs> Witches burn because they're made of wood. And since wood floats and ducks float, if she weighs the same as a duck, she must be a witch. Uh, having come to this conclusion, they head off to use the knight's largest scales to weigh the woman and a duck. And as the scales settle perfectly balanced, <laughs> the crowd rushes off to burn the witch. Right. And you get another good quote when the, the knight asks uh, King Arthur, who are you that is so wise in the ways of science? <laughs> yeah, Arthur introduces himself to the knight, uh, who is the first person to immediately express fealty to mm. the king. And uh, Arthur invites him to Camelot, and he accepts, accepts introducing himself as Bedivere before being knighted Sir Bedivere by Arthur. Um we then go to a like storybook with illuminated script and photos from the film as a narrator describes why is Sir Bedivere the first of the knights to join the round table. And we flip through more cast photos in the book as more of the knights who join are listed, including Sir Lancelot the Brave, Sir Galahad the Pure, Sir Robin the not quite so brave as Sir Lancelot who nearly fought the dragon of Ag- Angor, who nearly stood up to the vicious chicken of Bristol, and who had personally wet himself at the Battle of Baton Hill. Yes. Uh, additionally, there is Sir not appearing in this film, who I really liked because it's just a baby in a full suit right, of man's right. armor, and it looks photoshopped. <laughs> There's a lot of like absurdist humor in this. Yeah. You got to just follow along. <laughs> uh, 
Um, these knights were the knights of the round table. Uh, we see the knights and their squires and servants galloping. And I put galloping in air quotes because right. there is a horse in this movie, but never do any of the main cast ride one. <laughs> They're always using the coconuts and the hopping and miming. And they, they mime getting off the horses. Or I don't know if we got to that part yeah. yet. But yeah. There's a few points where they'll even mime like the horses coming to a sudden stop right. all in a crowd. And it's, right. it's always great. <laughs> um. Sir Bedefir is sharing the new learnings on the shape of the earth, banana, uh, as the continues to wow Arthur. <laughs> Their discussion is interrupted by the spotting of a nearby castle. It's Camelot. Arthur goes to welcome them all to their new home, and we cut hard cut to a musical number inside where the Knights of the Round Table are doing a very jaunty <laughs> and kick line forward musical number. <laughs> uh, and after that song comes to an abrupt end, our band of knights decides not to go to Camelot as it is a very silly place. <laughs> Uh, they ride on some more until a thundercrack and a voice calls to Arthur from the sky. It's God in like picture form with little like paper mouth moving underneath. It's kind of like the South Park animation style. Yeah. Um, God is annoyed with their reverence as they try to you know be respectful. And he's like, ah, no, everyone does this all the time. Uh, but he's here to tell Arthur that his knights will have a great task to seek the Holy Grail. And this is their quest that they must complete. Uh, with that, God disappears, and the movie becomes animated briefly as trumpets and fanfare pick up, tooting uh, out some butts of monks and showing all sorts of angels heralding as the title "The Quest for the Holy Grail" appears. Return. Yeah, I don't know if the, all that animation is dated now or not. You know, it's from <laughs> what the '70s, I guess. So yeah, um, that it reminds me of, like this is before your time too. Mad Magazine <laughs> and that kind of animation, like that sort of goofy, like almost like psychedelic stuff, but. <laughs> I feel like it works in the movie, though. Like, it, it still yeah, feels right for the... Absolutely, but <laughs> it, it's old. Like, I don't know how mm-hmm. your generation will... I still found uh, it pretty... All right, well, you're old, too. I don't know how, like, your <laughs> nieces and nephews would like it, but it's I, I like it. I like it as a throwback. Yeah. Uh, and they'll cut to that pretty much any time they want to have a title in the movie. There's a lot of little animated gags mixed into the middle. Um Returning to our knights, they're riding across some hills for some time before coming across yet another castle. Uh, <laughs> I was looking at some of the, because in the credits in the beginning, they list the many locations that they filmed in, and a lot right. of them just were castle, castle, castle. <laughs> it's admirable that they got so many different castles they went to. I guess if you're in Great Britain, there's you more options. You probably have a few. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is like the highlight of the movie, this, <laughs> when, they meet the, when they meet the French soldiers in the Sorry. castle. This is, I think, my second favorite scene behind maybe Lancelot's later on, yeah. which is up there. But uh, halting, Arthur tries to hail the guards of the castle, introducing his knights and their great quest. And the guard at the top explains that this is the castle of his master, uh, a Frenchman whose name I will not try to pronounce after the Casablanca episode. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. I know. That was so bad. <laughs> Made it through. Yeah, well... Uh, Arthur asks him to tell his master that they are requesting food and shelter for the knight in return for him joining the quest for the Holy Grail and seeking great reward and whatnot. Uh, but the guard, who has a very strong French accent, seems... A fake French accent. <laughs> seems doubtful that this will sway his master as he already has a grail. And he turns to the other guys who are high and says, I told them we already have one. <laughs> They're all snickering. Uh, Arthur is surprised by this and tries to talk his way into seeing said grail, but the French immediately get very belligerent and uh, just sling insults at him. 
I farted in your general direction. Uh... Arthur starts to get annoyed and says they'll have no choice but to take their castle by force should they not show them the grail. Uh, and this prompts even more insults, uh, including your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries, which is oft quoted. Um, and the Frenchman tells them to get lost or be taunted a second time. <laughs> uh, as Arthur tries once more to reason with them, the French launch a cow at them with a catapult, smushing one of the servants. And as the knights charge the castle, more farm animals come flying over the walls, and the onslaught of animals proves too much, so the knights have no choice but to run away. And every time they run away, they all scream collectively, run away. (laughs) Run away, run away. (laughs) Regrouping at a nearby hill, Bedivere shares that he has a plan, and sometime later, the Frenchman keeping watch, uh, hearing occasional jungle sound effects, sees a big wooden rabbit be pushed towards the castle doors a la like the trojan horse uh as the knights watch from nearby the guards open the gate and bring the rabbit in very cautiously behind the hill bedivere Bedivere explains that next he lancelot and galahad (laughs) wait until nightfall and leap from the rabbit and take them by surprise as he does so pointing to himself galahad and lancelot right Uh, who is in the rabbit (laughs) me Galahad Lancelot. <laughs> Realizing quickly that none of them are in the rabbit, uh, <laughs> no one is in the mood to hear uh, Bedivere's follow-up idea of a large wooden batter, badger. <laughs> um, the rabbit is then launched out of the castle and smushes another survey. <laughs> we then cut to a professor in a modern-day history video, a historian, discussing the defeat of Arthur at the castle and how it changed his strategy for the rest of the quest. The knight's each separated to search for the Holy Grail individually. And before he could say what they all did, a random knight on a real horse, <laughs> not a coconut this time, comes by and slices him with a sword. And this is just happening for now. Don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> um, we go first to the tale of Sir Robin. Uh, Sir Robin rode through a dark forest with his minstrels, who sing of how he is not afraid to die and all the many bad ways that he could die. And Sir Robin seems to be very afraid of this. <laughs> eventually stopping the music as they come across a bunch of uh, murdered knights who are all lanced into a tree and are stopped by a three-headed knight. Sir Robin tries to pretend to just be a body passing through, but his minstrel's songs kind of give away that maybe (laughs) he's more than that. Um, The three-headed knight is debating what to do when they find out that Sir Robin is a knight of the round table, mostly arguing about how to kill him and their own personal issues (laughs) between the three heads. Um, but as they argue and we cut, we're in like a little tight shot on just the heads and then in the wide shot, Sir Robin and his minstrels are gone. Uh, then the minstrels sing about how brave Sir Robin turned and fled. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I remember quoting that one a lot too. (laughs) When danger reared its ugly head, Sir Robin turned his tail and fled. (laughs) Uh, later on, I don't think I wrote it down, but they do eat the minstrels and there was much rejoicing. rejoicing. (laughs) Uh, Next up, we get an animation of the monks from earlier, now jumping off of a diving board into the title card for the tale of Sir Galahad. Uh, Sir Galahad stumbled through a forest in a storm, eventually seeing a vision of a glowing grail above a distant castle, uh, banging on the castle doors and demanding they open. Uh, It seems at first one creepily swings open and he collapses inside, uh, where immediately the mood is different as he is welcomed to Castle Anthrax by a bunch of maidens dressed all in white. Uh, They say they will attend to his every need, and he tries to persistently ask after the grail, uh, but they just seem progressively more confused by this. Um, 
one of the good lines was he comes in, he says, I'm Sir Galahad, the chaste. And <laughs> the uh, girl says, I'm Newt, just Newt. <laughs> All of them have fantastic names. The yeah. main girl for like the first half of the scene's name is Zoot. Uh, later, her twin sister is named Dingo. Uh, there was Newt and... Oh, no, Zoot. I said Newt, but it's Zoot. <laughs> Zoot and... Uh, yeah, they're all goofy names. Zoot and Dingo. A lot of them are uh, much like Castle Anthrax, which is poorly named, uh, right. have similarly... <laughs> Unappealing names on yeah. the offset. They uh, show him all manner of hospitality, offer medical care for his wound, uh, but he starts rushing away, reminding us all of his vow of chastity, and stumbles into a room of similarly beautiful women. He continues to try and search for the girl when he runs into Dingo, the identical sister of Zoot who had been showing him around until now, and she sheds some light on the situation, revealing that Zoot must have been lighting their conveniently grail-shaped beacon, which is not supposed to do. <laughs> Zoot, having been bad, must receive the punishment, and Dingo breaks the fourth wall for a moment to ask the audience if they're enjoying the scene and being told to get on with it by all the other characters right. in the movie. Uh, Dingo continues that the one punishment in Castle Anthrax for setting alight the beacon is a spanking. Uh, Galahad is soon swarmed with women demanding a spanking when Lancelot bursts in and starts to rush him out, saying that he is in great peril despite Galahad's protests. That uh, <laughs> he wants to face this peril that he thinks he can overcome it. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, was one of the. This was one of the s rare scenes that I probably sh sheltered you guys from. I don't when remember you were this one kids. as much from watching. It no, that's now. the only scene that has any kind of like sexual overtones mm -hmm. at all. But you know, you're old enough to handle it now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking about when I saw this, and I I remembered that I I, uh, you know, didn't have you guys watch it do you remember there was a time i forget which show it was but you and i were sitting on the sofa we were watching a movie and some like sex scene came on and you were like a teenager and i was like oh what am i supposed to do now you know <laughs> and then i was like you know do we do we need to talk about anything that we're watching <laughs> you know as trying to reverse all the years of catholic guilt and never talking to my own parents <laughs> about sex or anything and you said to me, I thought we were just going to ignore it and never speak of it again. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that works for me, too. <laughs> but at least I should get credit for having made the you effort. Yeah, you, the effort was made. That was what mattered. I we know. can all. <laughs> but this, is, this scene is pretty mild anyway. Yeah, but... no, it's, it's the joke more is Thurgal had the chase than yeah. anything else. Um, Lancelot ushers him out, and we go back to the storybook where we turn the page to Arthur and Bedivere, who have discovered something, according to the narrator. Um, the narrator does a little splurb about how this is scene 24, and it's quite a good scene. He hopes we enjoy it before we enter a hut where an old man is laughing constantly as he describes uh, an enchanter who has seen the Grail, who lives, uh, who said the Grail was in a cave which beyond is the gorge of eternal peril. They must seek the bridge of death, and with that warning, the hut and man fade away, and Arthur and Vetivere are in a smoky, uh, are in the woods around a campfire. Riding on, they soon find themselves surrounded by the knights who say "me." <laughs> <laughs> they are keepers of the secret words "ni peng" and "ni wam." <laughs> the knights who say "ni" demand a sacrifice in order to let Arthur and Vetivere pass. Uh, and should Arthur not appease them, they will say knee at them again, <laughs> which is just all of the knights and extras in the scene saying knee. Knee. <laughs> they must get them a shrubbery. A shrubbery, which is an appropriately dramatic musical cue accompanies that, which I really loved. <laughs> uh, so Arthur and Bedivere head off to find a shrubbery. 
Meanwhile, the police are starting to investigate the scene of the historian who was previously killed by the knight, uh, and we just cut back to that occasionally. Um, more animated titles for the tale of Sir Lancelot. The animated writer of said title having to go silence the leaping clouds and sun <laughs> that are uh, right. out and about. <laughs> yeah. Getting a lot of uh, Ziggy action in this episode. Um, in a castle, a father is showing his son all the land that will soon be his someday. Said castle built on oh, three funny. other castles in a small... This is the Lancelot scene that you like so much. I do. I really like that. I always <laughs> found this one funny. Um, the father is very rough around the edges and the son is much wimpier. Uh, the son seems to not want the kingdom all that much. And the father goes off on a speech about how he built this kingdom up from a swamp and that his boy will have the strongest mm. castle in the Isles. But the boy, he would rather sing and every time he goes to sing a song his father jumps in and stops him no no none of that right. <laughs> father's like i they told me not to build this castle in the swamp so i built it anyway and then it sank and so i built another one and then it sank and then i built another one and burned and sank but the fourth one stood yeah <laughs> uh his father tells him that he's getting married to a girl with huge tracts of land, but he's not all that into it, it seems, and goes to sing about the girl he wants to marry before getting cut off once more by his dad. Uh, his dad then calls in the guards, and uh, this is one of my favorite gags in the movie, <laughs> uh, tries to explain to them that they are to keep the prince inside this room, not let him leave, until the king comes back. Uh, and they go back and forth with different right. combinations of people coming, going, leaving, staying. So we leave <laughs> until you get back. No. And finally, when he turns to leave the room, thinking that they've settled it, the two guards go to follow him, and it all repeats again. <laughs> uh, the prince has one last, chan last chance to sing, but once more is shut down by his dad, before the prince gets the idea to write a note and use a bow and arrow on the wall to shoot it out the window asking for help, which he does while making constant eye contact with the uh, only encouraging guards. <laughs> right. Sir Lancelot and his servant Concord are leaping and galloping uh, as much as they leap and gallop on foot when Concord is hit right in the chest with the arrow, uh, telling him that he has a message for his lord. Lancelot reads the note asking for his aid. Uh, it's pretty ambiguous as to who this note could be from, but it seems like some pretty standard damsel in distress stuff at this point. Uh, Lancelot's excited by this as he sees it as a call to action that will lead him to the Holy Grail, and he goes to speak... Uh, of good, bra good of brave Concord, but Concord, much like the man from earlier, is not quite dead yet, <laughs> and in fact may just pull through. Uh, but Lancelot insists on him staying behind and honoring his sacrifice, so Concord just sort of hangs out in the woods right. while Lancelot's off to do a rescue. <laughs> he has to do a rescue in his own special uh, idiom. Idiom, <laughs> sir, yes. Um... As the bride is readied for the wedding and preparations are underway, the atmosphere of the castle is only festive. People are celebrating and dancing. The guards at the front gate are just nodding everyone by. Um, and one of them notices in the distance Lancelot running towards them in a shot with some drums going in the background. It's like, da -da 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 -da. Right. and he's very far away running. And they'll cut to the guard looking and the same exact shot of Lancelot yeah. running at the same distance. Like four or five times. Mm-hmm. Until yeah. the fifth time when instead of cutting back to just the guard, we cut back and Lancelot is already up there uh, and he goes right into a fight, um, slashing his way through the party, murdering any guest unlucky enough to get in his way, including kicking the bride on his way up the castle tower. Um, 
Lancelot enters the prince's room and begins to swear fealty when he sees that the one in the room is a lad and not a lass and becomes confused as he came in here thinking that there was a damsel in distress to be rescued. Uh, <laughs> the king then rushes in when the boy starts to try and sing, uh, cutting him off once more, and begins to berate Lancelot for ruining the wedding and killing quite a few of the guests. Uh, and Lancelot uh, heel turns on the whole thing and seems quite apologetic about all the trouble. <laughs> Yes, he's like, I thought your son was a girl. And he's like, oh, I can see that mistake. And then when he finds out Lancelot is from Camelot, he might mm-hmm. be wealthy. And he's like, oh, wow. Yeah. The Once... king sort of turns around right. on the whole thing. Um, and as they're having their sort of discussion where they turn around on, oh, Lancelot's from Camelot, the prince is making a rope uh, out of sheets and begins to climb out the window, calling for Lancelot. He's like, ah, you rescued me. Uh, and as... <laughs> Lancelot and the king go to have a drink and discuss more. The king cuts the rope his son is on and he falls off screen, presumably to his doom. Uh, Lancelot and the king re-enter the main hall and the guests all begin to mob Lancelot, who fights back until the king steps in and breaks it all up. The king tries to explain to the crowd that Lancelot is his special guest, but this doesn't really pacify them. So many of them have been murdered at this point. Um, (laughs) The crowd only dies down temporarily when the king discusses the reason that they're actually all here, the wedding. Unfortunately, his son has just fallen to his death, but since her dad has also tragically died today, he's decided to adopt the bride as his daughter. Her dad, though, not quite dead, as is something of a theme in this movie. But this time, the king has one of his guards go over and finish the job. Uh, The king then tries to engage his new daughter to Lancelot, but just at that moment, his son reappears, having survived his fall, and this time, despite the king's many protests, the son begins a musical number to explain all about (laughs) how he survived. Uh, Lancelot, sensing the moment has passed, goes to leave, but he must do it dramatically, a word provided by Concord, who's reappeared, uh, and swings on a rope uh, over the crowd, which then swings back, and he ends up just dangling sort of directly above the crowd at the wedding. Meanwhile, Arthur and Bedivere come across an old woman hitting a cat against a wall, the old crone, recurring, (laughs) and ask where they could buy a shrubbery. Uh, This is a shocking request to her, and hearing (laughs) who sent them, the knights who say knee, she gets even cagier. Since she isn't cooperating, Bedivere and Arthur say knee at her, (laughs) as the knights did previously, uh, causing her much distress. Though Bedivere has some hang-ups on the pronunciation. She goes like, no. No, it's knee. Knee. Um, after some knees, a passing guy tells them off, uh, a passing shrubber, shrubber, (laughs) who has shrubberies for them, shrubberies, uh, going off about how no one will, people are just saying knee, an innocent old crone (laughs) these days. Um, they bring the knights who say knee a shrubbery and there is, but there is one problem as they are now the knights who say icky, 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 patang, zuba, um, as a result, they must give them a new test to find another shrubbery and place it behind, beside the current shrubbery with a nice little like path in the middle for a little two-layered effect. Right. <laughs> a two-layered effect with a path in the middle. Yeah, the knights were very specific. Yes. And then after that, they must cut down the mightiest tree in the forest with a herring. Arthur says that it, it can't be done, and the knights react with fear as he said a word they can't hear, um, though they won't specify what word as they won't want right. to say it. Uh, it's implied to be it by all the conversations. Right. Um, Sir right. Robin appears in their conversation, which includes many instances of the word it, distresses the knights who say me even further, right. and they're able to all sort of ride off together. And, and the main knight is, uh, oh, you, you said it again. And he's like, I said it. Oh, I said it twice. No, I said it three <laughs> times. And they leave. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, now in animated form, the party meets back up with Lancelot and Galahad and head to find the enchanter previously told of in scene 24. In animated form, they recount some tales of a year of their adventures going by, recounting returning to live action near some cliffs as the whole team gallops, in air quotes, along uh, in the dist- when in the distance, a bunch of explosions start to throw them off. It's the enchanter making explosions by just sort of pointing and then some pyrotechnics go off. Right. Uh, he appears in front of them in a puff of smoke, and Arthur asks for his name, which causes the Enchanter to announce that he is... Some call me Tim. <laughs> the Enchanter. Tim, the Enchanter. <laughs> he already knows Arthur and of his quest, and sometimes Tim will just stop in the middle of his conversation to do some more pyrotechnics and just like kind of point off to a side right. and some sparks where... <laughs> he uses his staff to shoot like, like fireworks out. Yeah. Right? Like a flare. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Arthur tries to move the conversation towards Tim providing some help, but Tim just stares at them until Arthur asks again where they can find a grail. Tim does know and directs them to the Cave of Carabinog in the north, which has runes that state the last resting place of the Holy Grail. He leads them to the entrance of the cave with a warning that the terrifying creature that guards it uh, is not to be trifled with. has killed many men. There's, that's why there's all these bones strewn about. Um, after leaving their nervous horses, which is one of the instances where they all pretend that their horses are right. nervous and <laughs> dismount, <laughs> uh, to carry on on foot, they reach the mouth of the cave, and just as described, strewn about are bones and the like. Um, Arthur goes to fight the beast when it decides to make its appearance. Uh, hopping over the carnage is a fluffy white rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> He says, where's the beast? Behind the rabbit? He's like, no, it is the rabbit. <laughs> Tim tries to explain that it's no ordinary rabbit. Uh, the knights are all pretty doubtful of that one. Uh, as Tim struggles to convey the fear that they should be feeling, one of their B-team unnamed uh, knights goes to kill the rabbit, only for it to leap at him, take a flying <laughs> stuffed rabbit on a wire, flying leap through the air to bite his head off. No one doubts Tim now. And Tim's it's funny. He's like, see, I told you. I told you. I warned everybody. Fangs. But no, you wouldn't listen to me. No. Uh, all the knights charge in at once, but it's immediate carnage. So all of the named knights uh, yell, run away and flee right. back behind the rocks. They decide after mulling a few different strategies to use the holy hand grenade of Antioch, which this is a scene that you've quoted a lot in our lifetime. I, I have. And we actually just saw the holy hand grenade of Antioch <laughs> used in the coronation of King Charles of England, who held the holy hand grenade. It was hysterical to see it, actually, because <laughs> it was almost like right out of the show. So mm. in the show, they're like, you know, what's the monk's name? The uh, prior... Brother... Maynard. Brother Maynard. Maynard. Yeah. So... The king's like, Brother Maynard, you know, bring out the holy hand grenade. So they bring out the book, how to use it. And it's mm. it was just like the coronation. They had the priest, <laughs> you know, bring this like holy hand grenade shaped ball with the cross on it. And the king holds it. I, wanted, I was just waiting for him to say, one, two, five, three, sir. <laughs> but anyway, just that's kind of the whole scene. But you can. So, yeah, so they bring out the holy yeah. hand grenade. They barrel the holy hand grenade to get the instructions on how to use it. Right. Move the pin. First, you must count. <laughs> Count to, to three. three. No more, no less. You should now count to four, nor two, unless you are then going to three. Five, Five is right, right out. out. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
Uh, and the gag is that the king always skips three and goes to five. It's one, two, yeah. five. Yeah. Yeah, every time. It's a great little setup yeah. <laughs> for uh, the instance. And this time, Arthur will continue his gag uh, going one, two, five. Benavir. Three, sir. <laughs> three, sir. Explosion is a success despite this. No more rabbit to terrorize the entrance to the cave. This uh, sound also alerts the local police who are continuing to investigate the case of the <laughs> murdered historian. <laughs> Um, entering the cave, the knights come upon the runes, which the brother, uh, Maynard, Maynard, right? Maynard, I yeah. think, yeah. Translates to, he who is valiant and noble of spirit may find the holy grail in the castle of, uh... <laughs> <laughs> After a bit of debate as to why he would have typed, Did he die? <laughs> he wouldn't have carved arg if he was dying. Well, maybe someone was, uh, maybe he was dictating. <laughs> right, he was dictating to somebody. <laughs> Uh, but before they can come to any sort of consensus, uh, they're face-to-face with a terrifying animated monster. Um, they run away while the animated beast uh, chases them until the animator dies of a fatal heart attack and they are saved from the danger <laughs> at that moment. Um, meanwhile, the cops hot on their trail arrive at the entrance of the cave. The knights arrive at the Bridge of Death where the old man from scene 24 is waiting he is the bridge keeper and asks each of the travelers three questions. If you answer correctly, you can pass safely. And if you fail, you get thrown into the gorge. <laughs> uh, Lancelot goes up first and is asked, what is his name? Lancelot. What is his quest? To seek the Holy Grail. And what is his favorite color? Blue. <laughs> All right, you may go. <laughs> he crosses without incident. And Sir Robin, seeing that this was such an easy thing to do, uh, rushes right up to answer next. Same first two questions, his name and his quest, uh, but his third question is, what is the capital of Assyria? Which stumps Sir Robin, and he is thrown through the air <laughs> into the gorge. Uh, <laughs> Galahad goes next, same first two questions, name, quest, uh, and he actually gets the same third question as Sir Lancelot, favorite color, but he accidentally uh, parrots Lancelot's favorite color, blue, and is thrown into the gorge as that it's right. not his favorite color. <laughs> Um, Arthur is next right, same first two questions name and quest and his third question kind of coming full circle and a bit of a gag from throughout the movie what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow and this last one presents some confusion as Arthur needs clarification on whether he's talking about an African or a European swallow as we all know from watching this movie very different capabilities in the sky <laughs> right, the African swallow is not migratory <laughs> much bigger mm-hmm uh, the bridge keeper does not know. And so the bridge keeper. And so the bridge keeper is thrown into the gorge instead. <laughs> As uh, Arthur and Bedivere cross the gorge, a title card with intermission and some very jaunty music pops up briefly to sort of just break it up now that we're in the last 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> um, we return as they finish crossing the bridge, but there's no sign of Lancelot on the other side. It's just Benavir and Arthur for now. Uh, we do a little cutaway for the audience to see Lancelot being actively arrested and patted down by the cops. Right. <laughs> Which is just a great image of, like, the guy in the full night skier mm-hmm. <laughs> against the car. Yeah, no. They, that whole gag with the, with the historian and the knights and stuff <laughs> was pretty good. Uh, as Arthur and Bedivere search for their friend, the sound of holy music draws them in, and they walk towards a distant shoreline where a spooky magic boat appears. They board and are carried across the water to uh, a castle with, on sort of like a distant 
island inlet sort of area. Uh, it's Castle Arg. <laughs> Their quest is finally at its end. Disembarking, they approach the castle, taking a moment to pray and show reverence, when suddenly a farm animal is launched at them once again. It's the French. This is their castle. Arthur tries to demand that they open the doors, but the French start insulting him once more, uh, even harsher than before. Uh, and this time, Arthur and Vedivere just go to slam on the front door, only to have chamber pots emptied on them for their troubles. This gets the English to walk away under a slew of taunts straight across the inlet to the field they came from. <laughs> and like Arthur tells the other guys, like, don't pay any attention to them. Like, <laughs> uh, Arthur then declares that they shall attack at once. And from out of nowhere, a full army appeals over the crest of the hill. They're all ready to go, ready to charge. Arthur does his like inspiring speech uh, and they all begin the onslaught of the castle rushing down the hill when suddenly the real police from modern times come onto the field, driving the car in front of all the charging armies, uh, intercept and start making their arrests for the murder of the historian earlier in the film. Uh, the cops telling them to pack it in and going over to the cameraman putting their hand on the lens, uh, signaling the end of the movie. The intermission music that they had played earlier kicks back up and plays over nothing for three straight minutes, which is incredible. <laughs> Right. They already did their credits. The they beginning. would not do that today. Have no. three minutes of nothing. This is the second movie struck episode in a row where we've had a movie with like a particularly notable ending because we did Clue last episode, which oh, okay. has the three endings. I love that movie. That was good. Yeah, great. Um, this one did all its front credits and yeah. then just plays the most like earwormy right. <laughs> music. First, I timed it out. It's three full minutes. <laughs> but yeah, that is Monty Ooh. Python and the Holy Grail. Definitely worth watching. Yeah, this is especially with your kids. <laughs> Maybe edit a few scenes. <laughs> well, this is fun because we watched this a lot growing up because you would show us the scenes that you particularly liked at a given time. Right. So most of the major hits, like the Knights Who Say Me, uh, the Rabbit, that right. kind of stuff. But often, what would happen is we would watch a scene and then you would bring up the life of Brian and say you can't watch <laughs> it yet. Say I can't watch it. Yet. <laughs> no. Well, so it's like it's the same humor, and I actually kind of like Life of Brian a little better. But like it, the sort of play on King Arthur is an easier and more less uh, controversial play than the play on the life of Christ. <laughs> and you know, so. I made you wait for the for, to watch the life of Brian. I thought maybe for this episode that you'd do a curveball and actually pick like life of Brian. No, <laughs> no, no. Can, you know, that leave it for a later time. I don't want to, your audience is, you know, maybe not so mature, so they need to. No, no, just kidding. But um, yeah, life of Brian's really good too. That, yeah. Um, also very quotable and. Mm -hmm. um, Monty Python, I feel like, is pretty good for quotes in general. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The TV show was really was good too, and all, all the same stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that's on online now. The TV show might. I think so. I think I've seen most of the like most notable, like mm -hmm. the Ministry of Silly Walks type right, of deal. Right, right. The, the dead guy re returning the dead parrot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, I guess to kind of bring it on home. Do you have any sort of closing thoughts on? Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Is there like a situation you might recommend our audience watch this movie in? Is it like a movie night with friends? Is it on your own? What's sort of the yeah with well, your kids? <laughs> it, it's kind of like it's kind of something that you should see when you're younger and 
you're more immature because the humor is very <laughs> immature and you know, I mean it's right like a, a fine like eighth grade boys are like right in the wheelhouse that, that's that's you know and some of the jokes like about the the society and then the, the divine right of kings and stuff it gets more like collegiate level humor but um unless you're sort of a kid at heart once you're <laughs> older the joy is all in watching someone younger watch it for mm -hmm. the first time you know it's not kind of the show poppy and grandma aren't going to sit there and watch <laughs> monty python and the holy grail even though poppy was the one that showed it to me back when i was a kid so yeah so find some kids and watch it <laughs> but you know depending on the kid you might have to cut out some of the scenes yeah do the quintess in my mind this is like the quintessential dad watching movie move of just fast forwarding periodically yeah, right keep the, <laughs> this is how i experienced keep the remote in your gun, hand Caddyshack. I, know. I know right it's just such a so many movies that like remember when we watched um christmas vacation and i had forgotten <laughs> so when you watch that on like tv they cut out this one scene where clark just like spews all these curses f-bombs everything and that's not in like the ones that they show on tv but i got mm -hmm. like a dvd or something and watched it with you guys and he just started cursing and i just started <laughs> looking at your little kids I was like, oh, well, they're going to hear it eventually. So. You have a pretty good history of picking uh, I, questionable tape. I, I think because I don't remember or I, I filter that stuff out. Even and... just luck of the draw, the first like VHS I think you picked for me was a Thomas the Tank Engine one. Oh, right. The but rescues and runaways. Where trains, it... wrecks, and runaways. Right, right. You were like four or something. It was like, oh, we're going to watch Thomas the Tank Engine. You haven't seen this before. And it was a whole show about how Thomas and his friends just go off the rails and crash. <laughs> you were crying. Mom was upset that I showed you this. And I was like, how am I supposed to know? It's Thomas the Tank Engine for crying out loud. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. I probably shouldn't even be on the show. I'm probably not very good at recommending stuff. You should probably do what you do and, you know, I give you directions. Just do the opposite. So. <laughs> I think we've had a pretty good run so far. The shows, the yeah. shows we picked were good shows. We're well, one of them won the Academy Award, but yeah, yeah we're <laughs> we're we're doing okay with picking shows. Yeah. And Speed Racer is grossly awesome. underrated. It's an awesome show. I just watched it again. Yeah. Usually, well, now I just go to certain of the scenes because I've seen it so many times. But yeah, no, that's a great show. I'm all about getting the word out for that. <laughs> Casablanca won Academy Award, and this is a show that you should watch with your kids. Yeah. With the remote in your hand to fast forward a few parts. I feel like it's a good it's a pretty big cultural touch point even now still for yeah it, it was i mean back in the day it was hugely like mm -hmm. a cultural touchstone um today not as much you know yeah. um i would recommend south park as the sort of successor <laughs> absurdist but smart mm -hmm. i love south park if we do like we did do like a TV. Oh, South Park I've, had a movie. I got one rule on the show. It's if it's a movie. Ooh, South Park, the movie. <laughs> we could do that next year. That was good. That was. I mean, the TV show is fantastic. It's one of my favorite shows ever. But um, yeah, like, they did do a movie. You got a full year to mull it over. You could, right. Again, I can't give you any direction on it. It no, really I'll, is all. I'll I'll think about. It. I got funny. a year to think about it. And you got a year to make sure none of the other people who've been one three times go on a fourth time before <laughs> I go on a fourth time. And then next year you can introduce me as the guest I've had on the show most frequently. <laughs> as opposed to my father who I've known my whole life. <laughs> well, whatever, you know. <laughs> uh, but dad, thanks for, I always, I always love having you on for the Father's I'm, Day. 
special. This is really fun for me. When do I get to plug now, whatever you want, I want to plug? have anything to plug? Yes, I would like to plug. So my daughter <laughs> is freelance video and sound editing for podcasts, YouTube channels, you. and shows like this. Um, and her... She's Sophia Ricciardi, podcaster, editor, producer. Oh, you're reading my business card. I'm reading your business card. It's taped to the wall there. Um, so if anybody has any kind of uh, need for technical assistance with their podcast or even content assistance, they should get in touch with Sophia Ricciardi, uh, future Oscar Academy <laughs> Award winner. They don't give out a lot of Academy Awards for podcasts. <laughs> well, you're just starting, baby. You're just starting. You're going to, you know. You'd do this for a blockbuster movie, maybe the sequel to the Monty Python here. <laughs> you never know. Anyway, uh, so that's my plug for your work. Well, thanks, Dad. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, links to my stuff is all in the show notes for this show. Um, but that is the end of this episode. I've been doing this thing in the outros where I try to kind of make a gag based on the movie in an attempt to, after like a year of the show, create some sort of an outro. Um, I didn't think of one ahead of time for Monty Python. I guess... I'm off to find a shrubbery. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta do something. Um, but thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next episode. Uh, Dad, thanks for coming on again. And My I pleasure. There's a, watch yourself when you pull out of this chair. There's a cat sleeping directly. I won't step on Ziggy. <laughs> She's fine. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on July 3rd with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out the Moviestruck Discord server for fun film-related conversations with other fans, or if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. <laughs> Sticky.